Welcome to Nick De La Torre presents Rob Holler's The Catholic Men's Show. Oh my gosh. The new name. That Official not, branding. That's great name. That's good. This yes. is it. So today we're going to have a conversation. Maybe we can use this as a starting point. How do you have a conversation with someone who sees things differently than you do, who you don't agree with? So as we know in our culture, uh, we, we've been in a very divisive time, and that's what we're going to talk about. Welcome back, everyone, to the Nick De La Torre Presents Rob Holler's Catholic Men's Show. Yes. It's even better the second time around. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to talk a little bit about how talking. to have talking. We're going to talk about talking uh, in the meta. most like roundabout way. Episode. <laughs> yes, that's right. How do we have conversations with people who see things differently than us? How do we have conversations with people who we disagree with? We may even think other people are wrong about certain things. So... Um, you know, certainly we've been given an example in our recent years of how not to do it. Uh, you know, you can think of throughout the year of 2020, we, we've had lots of examples, whether it be in our own families, on Facebook, uh, in public discourse. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to focus on today. And, uh, I, but first... Come up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. So... You used to have an Awaken app. Now it's old. There's a new one. So all of you people who bought the iPhone 11. It was free. If you bought the iPhone 11, it's like the iPhone 12 just came out. But you can't use the iPhone 11 anymore. Right? The old app doesn't work. I mean, yeah, that's that's Folks, this is rough. So there's a new app. (laughs) And you can download that from the App Store. It's going to be whether you have an Android or an iPhone, yep. uh, just go to your app store and download it. And there's going to be great community features there. Uh, it's new. It's upgraded. It's all better. Bells and whistles, all that stuff. So just just do it. Right on. And also, today's show is sponsored by this book. <laughs> no, it's sponsored by Joseph Boggs, who wrote this book. Joseph Boggs is a lo- local author, uh, and the book is Prohibition's Proving Ground. It's all about... Prohibition from Detroit to Toledo and, uh, you know, cops, cars and rum runners in the Toledo, Detroit, Windsor corridor. And I hear it's a very interesting read. Uh, We have a free copy to give away. So if you can, we're going to do a free copy for the next three episodes. So the person who is the most eager in the comments below this episode and shares it. We'll get a free Ooh. copy of this book. You have to be the most eager, and Nick De La Torre will be the judge of that and <laughs> ensure that you get this free copy. Put your eagerness on display. Yes, yes. All right. Every like, have. every comment, every share. It's another little entry for you. Wow. Sounds really exciting. I bet you I have, I have relatives in this book. Some of my relatives were bootleggers in this area. That so is awesome. This is probably, I believe that. This is probably about my A history family. of the Grodi family. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Unauthorized. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Thank you, Joseph, for sharing that Exposing. with us. Yes. yes. Thanks for Exposing the dark history. It does, it does sound like a really, really cool book. I, I actually saw it, when I, I saw it when I walked in here. I was like, well, that's appropriate for the men's show. Like, that that sort of became a thing a while ago, this local history movement thing and all these uh, publishing of local really books. Cool. So, well, yeah. John Mark, I'll tell you what, sir. If you like, comment, and share what? this episode, you just might be uh, well, eligible to win. I like 
and I'm commenting and I'm sharing with you. So I feel like I'm already eligible. <laughs> we could use a little more enthusiasm. No, it only yeah, counts. Yeah. Your opinions only count if they're on Facebook. <laughs> That's right. And as a tra- transition, <laughs> a great transition into our into our true. conversation today. So we just want to talk a little bit about how do you have good conversations with people, uh, conversations with people who are coming from a different perspective, background, they have a different experience from you, and they've drawn a different conclusion than you have. Uh, so I guess. Can I say that, like, this is a perennial issue, but obviously, as you as you alluded to, this is it's so much more an issue now because it's not just that we live in a world where people disagree a little bit about some things. It's like we, we seem to live in a world where you are surrounded by people who seem to live on a different planet than you. Mm-hmm. And that's not to prejudge, to, to pre-assume that, that, uh, that their universe that they see is wrong and yours is right. It's just – it's a bizarre reality we live in where you can hear other people talk about current events and you're like, what? You, you sound like you're from a different universe. What you're seeing, what you're perceiving, the way you're interpreting it. And so like more than ever, it's, it's really bewildering to have coworkers and family members and friends – just seem like they're from a different universe. And I'm like, I don't even, how do you even begin to open up that conversation? It's, it's different than it, it has been where there's some differences, but we're mostly in the same universe. There's just some little differences we might argue about now. It, it, it seems like it's so much more heightened that we don't mm-hmm. even want to begin that conversation. Well, and I think the last year has made it especially difficult where so much of our communication has been virtual and not in person. Yeah. Um, even the folks that we would normally just watch on TV, they're often in the same room. But in this last year, they've been in different places. And I really think that we communicate in a different way when we're not in uh, physical proximity to someone. And I think that often makes things even more charged um because you can't always especially when we're talking like written communication you can't hear someone's voice you're not looking them in the eye and so it's so easy to misinterpret intentions and it's very difficult to um to moderate the way you say things i think the written word um especially online uh, people say things to other human beings online that they would never say yeah at least in that way in real life in, in person. And I think that's heightened it in the last year too. Yeah. And even beyond just like it's interpreted differently. It is people have this freedom to say something they just would not say otherwise to someone's face. Well, the difficulty is there's a couple things here. One is the reality that we're presented a different set of facts as John Mark was saying. So you watch a certain network and you just come to the, the conversation with a completely different point of view. The second challenge, which is very real though, is that there is so much at stake in some of these conversations, whether it be politically, who's elected, whatever it may be. I mean, I think about the abortion issue and how important it is to have a a pro-life president, for example. So, so you come at it already completely charged up. And that's why I think our first rule or guide in the midst of this, whether we're talking to family or someone who disagrees with us, even if they're coming from a different universe, even if they have a different set of facts, that they are made in the image and likeness of God, that they too are a child of God, who God loves, who God wants to see redeemed, who God wants to see in heaven, just like he wants to see me redeemed and in heaven as well. And so when we enter these conversations, whether they be online or in person, we can never lose sight of that fact that they are not the enemy, that maybe some of their ideas, quite frankly, could be used by the enemy, but they themselves are a child of God in in need of love, mercy, and grace, just like we are. Something that makes me think about too is... um, in my own experience, like, and I don't do what I'm about to say perfectly, but I really try to approach 
every interaction in my life as as a student of life, right? Like that I'm constantly with an open disposition to learning. Mm-hmm. And that I think, sounds so hipster. I just I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, a, yeah. I'm a student of life. Well, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like how can I ever expect someone to, uh, that I'm interacting with to be open to hearing something uh, a different way if I'm never open myself to hearing something a different way? And so, yeah. you know, I think a lot of a lot of life is about perspective. Like the way that we see things is perspective. I'm a Cuban American, and I have family that had to escape communism. I will never see socialism or communism is an acceptable thing. And a lot of that is my perspective as a Cuban American Catholic man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically what I'm saying is like, if there's someone that you, you disagree with and you're trying to interact with them, is it possible that even if they don't fundamentally change your opinion about something, you might get a little bit of light shed on a new perspective that would still um, edify you as a person. And you, you could still grow as a person from that conversation um, I just think the the willingness for that to happen, mm-hmm. the willingness to to be uh, to receive a new perspective or a new set of ideas, okay. has to be there if you ever want the other person to feel that way. Because you can't ask that of someone if you aren't willing to. But I think it's like it's really important though. Like you mentioned communism, like so we have to come in with a stance of of listening, which is important. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. However, I don't think we should tolerate all ideas for like sure. communism or socialism or racism for it, for that matter. I mean, we can come into a conversation being tolerant of a person, but not tolerant of all ideas. And that's the other thing we, we are unable to today to disagree politely or to point out uh, an untruth, if you will. And we need to rediscover that. I don't know exactly how you do that. Um, but I think the problem with dialogue today is like, we just simply, we, we tolerate every idea as if they're all equal, but they're not. Every person is equal, mm. and that's how we need to love people. But we don't, in the midst of conversation or dialogue, have to agree that every person's point of view is exactly equal because not all ideas are equal. That's maybe, the, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, maybe we can throw in you know prudence in a conversation to even I'll I was say just mitigate that. Of course you were, John Mark. Of course you were. Go ahead. Well, I, Steal the thunder. I think one of the things you brought up on, on one of your episodes for your show – What's the name of the show? Elevate Ordinary. Elevate Ordinary. Teresa and John on, Mark on Awakened Catholic. <laughs> uh, the, the point of conversation is communion, you know, and certainly we have areas where we are not in communion with each other, with other people. Uh, I think whenever you're saying like they're, you, they're so, saying something that, you know, you don't believe is true. I'll just say you don't believe. Maybe it'd be, you know, very clear. Um, I think you have to prudently discern how to be in communion with this person and becoming greater communion. And that communion ultimately lies in the truth. It ultimately does. Well, I think there's two different things going on. I would agree that the point of conversation is, is communion, or that's at least an important aspect of it. But what we're talking about here right now is not just conversation, but really argument. Mm. So when you enter into a dialogue with someone about some issue, whatever it is, who thinks differently than you do about this, you're entering into an argument, which has a very negative connotation in sort of everyday parlance. But as a, um, as a component of critical thinking, we all have to be able to argue. One of the key aspects of what makes argument something positive versus the negative that we associate with it is that argument has to involve a clear statement of concrete propositions and ideas. Part of Mm -hmm. the reason that we can't have an argument is that we don't have clearly thought through and articulated propositions that we believe most of the time. We trade as a culture in 
vague impressions that we receive through the media. Mm -hmm. yep. And so I can't concretely agree or disagree with you because I don't have a concrete idea of what I believe about X, Y, and Z. And I don't, yeah. and you don't, or at least I don't, I can't articulate what yours are. And so it, it, that pushes us further apart because we can't actually come right up to the edge of we agree, we agree, and here is the spot where we disagree. I think it's important to, to have clear motivations for why you're entering into an argument mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that if, if it's just to make a friend, if it's just community, you're not going to have a very good argument because you're going to be afraid to say something that someone might disagree with. So I don't think that can be the goal of it. Also, if you enter into an argument with the intention of with the sole intention of persuading the other person to your side, then that's a different kind of dynamic than an argument. I remember only one thing, really, from my freshman year of college in this honors critical thinking course I took. Day one, first principle of good argumentation and good critical thinking was that you have to be seeking the truth. That's the first yes. thing. And so you have to be open to the fact that the truth might be what the opinion that I hold. It might be the opinion that they hold. It might be some third thing that neither one of us has figured out. Mm -hmm. But if you are truth seeking, that's the first step to a good argument. And I kind of feel like that's the least common way that we enter into discussions with people that we disagree with. We either enter into those discussions with, um, I really need to convince this person of what I think and why what I think is true um, and why they're wrong. Or... I want to be friends with this person. So we're just going to talk about this in such nice. a way that we really don't get anywhere, mm -hmm. but we can go away without. The other I think it's thing a very shallow friendship at that level too. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's again, thinking of uh, the great contrast there, father, the idea of conversation is a shared pursuit of truth mm -hmm. and it has to be both those together. If it's just the sharing, the, the communion without trying to pursue truth, then it becomes antagonistic to truth because we don't want to ruin the friendship. If it becomes simply about enforcing the truth, but not about the sharing, then it's like, well, why are we even talking? Mm -hmm. There's got to be something valuable about doing this together, and that's why we do it together. Yeah. But it's got to be both those things together. No, can I just say, I was going to say that, and then he said it. Oh, it's oh so unfair. Yeah, but, yeah. Rob and I so are stealing the show today. Of that. Um, so I was going to say, I think going back to what you were saying earlier, Peter, and it ties into this now too, it, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about the, the uh, shortcomings of being an ideologue. And you know, one of the premises behind that is you don't even realize it's happening. Um, but it's it's this this when we conflate a person and an idea, and we like mm -hmm. make the two one. Where I right where so so for me, I don't think of myself every moment of every day. I don't think of myself as a straight, you know, white Cuban guy. I'm just a dude. I'm just a person. Um, and but what happens in a lot of identity politics and a lot of tribalism and the Democrat versus Republican, whatever, is a lot of these ideas become your identity. They become what you are as a person. And that makes discourse even harder because no longer are you just challenging my idea. You're challenging me as a person, my, my dignity, my value um, and and vice versa. And so you're you're no longer like having competing ideas. You're having competing people. And that creates war. That creates a tension that wouldn't be there otherwise. There's a two ends to that. So there's a problem with conflating the other person I'm talking to, my interlocutor, with their ideology or their label or maybe the label that I give them. Mm -hmm. Because then I've, I've completely erased my ability to, to listen to them because I'm interpreting everything they say by the label I've affixed to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, for myself, the problem with, with being attached to an ideology is, again, we've, we're attached to something other than truth. 
The truth is always bigger than your narrative, your ideology, your prejudice. That's what a prejudice means, yeah. a prejudgment. So to be attached to a narrative, even a largely good narrative, the problem is you've attached your, your, your intellect, your heart to something static rather than something that's expanding and, and growing. Right. As you learn, you have to continue learning and growing. But every time you clamp down and say, I'm done with this, it's, 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 it's right. closed – Right. Then you, the what becomes most important is your attachment, the thing itself, rather than no, no. I want to be, a, I want to continue to be a student of the truth. And that's what's so tricky about that is that you think it is the truth, and and so how how do you navigate that mm -hmm. that question, right? Like, yeah. gosh, how many um, interactions I've had with fellow Catholics um, or or even non-Catholics who are really great people, but like they just are so clung on to um, an idea or or whatever. For, for a reason that they really believe is just um, and but but it, it misses the mark in that it's like you're saying it's static and it's it's not taking into account a broader spectrum of truths and the truth is bigger than any one truth it's all-encompassing um, and so that's why you, you shouldn't get fixated well, on the one idea. Again, again the key is that, that what's important is the truth right and not it's interesting how our self our ego gets wrapped up with the truth. What we love about the truth sometimes is the me in it. I like this because it's mine. But then that that prevents us from being able to see where the truth then challenges perhaps some of my preconceptions or my, my prejudices. So they're always, I mean, you brought up the virtue of prudence, my favorite virtue, my favorite word here. Prudence is many things, but one of the things it is, is it's this habit of always turning away from my prejudices. And they're always forming. I'm always forming prejudices and trying to turn back to say, no, 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 I only want to be attached to the truth of things, not the me in the truth, not my particular, not my even my current view. I always want to let that explain. Be exp my my. Think about this in the spiritual life. We can form an image of who God is, and then clamp down and, and shut that, and just and stick with that. But God is, as Lewis says, He's the great iconoclast. He always wants to come in and say, "Okay, we're done with that now." I've got, I want to expand that. I want to show you more, right. but you have to be willing to receive that. St. Augustine mm -hmm. said exactly that, though. He said, if you have discovered something that you fully understand, then what you have discovered is not God. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so even from the perspective of uh, critically thinking about our faith, um, we have to be open to the possibility that what I understand right now might not be true. It might be or it might not be, but that's what truth-seeking means. Truth-seeking means that the truth is out there and I want to find it. Yeah. How do we and knowing that it's also, whether it is true or not, limited. So you you are not a possessor of the truth. You don't have it. You don't own it. It is right. not yours. But, oh, we yeah. also, but we also believe there is truth. So we don't enter into a conversation about – How do we about, reconcile that idea? Because both ideas are true, but like how do we, how do we live both? Like, so, you know, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Absolutely. We believe the Catholic Church is the surest way by which— Did I say something we, that implied otherwise? Well, you're a heretic, but let me—no, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Whoa. This, this is not That's how why we put you on the end so we can just <laughs> cut you right out. But I think, I think you can enter in a conversation believing and knowing in truth, but still being humble— in, in understanding that you don't, as Rob said, possess the truth. Mm -hmm. So we might know the truth, but we don't possess it in the context of like my explanation of it or my understanding of mm -hmm. it is complete and full. I mean, you think of St. Thomas Aquinas and everything mm -hmm. that he wrote and then you discovered it was straw. So mm -hmm. there's a sense of like coming into it with a, with a bold humility, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, 
So, and speaking about being humble. So before the show started, I was very upset because I was more closer towards the middle, an area of importance. <laughs> Nick sent me to the side, uh, which is just still hurting me. But then father turned to me and said, be humble. And so I think that's two really important points when it comes to how to have civil conversations, and that's bringing humility into it. So first from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Um, so I think that's an important part to bring into a conversation is that humil- uh, humble stance that the other person is better than you. Um, and that keeps us from overloading what we think is a truth in the midst of conversation. Secondly, though, I think an important aspect of this is after the conversation takes place, um, to be humble enough to call that person back or in a conversation, text, whatever it may be, to say, I'm sorry. I wasn't as charitable as I need to be. I've gotten into a lot of conversations and fights with my family. Uh, I mentioned my brother, my younger brother, Pat, because we see things differently. But after every time we get into one of our you know, fights, one of us calls the other other back and says, you know what, I- I'm sorry I didn't say that the way that I should have said that. Um, and too often we forget to do that in the midst of these tough conversations because we're still so upset or even sometimes hurt because these issues, um, they're not our primary identity, but they are very much linked to our identity. So they are a part of us. I mean, being pro-life is very much a part of my faith and my ultimate identity in Christ. And so we're going to take these things personally. And, and well, we should because they're issues of consequence. Um, but at the end of the day, we can't forget our primary identity. I'm a son or daughter of God, and so are they. Yeah. Um, and treat them accordingly. I love that. What, what, what you make me think of there, Pete, is um, that I think part of, of what moderates this is having like a proper hierarchy in our mind of of what our heart should be attached to. So again, we think about this information, these, these discussions. Um, it's, it's never, even as we were, we're providing this nuance here, it's never that the truth doesn't matter. Okay. But it, we need to keep our heart attached to the right things in the right order. Mm-hmm. So we're attached to God first and foremost, that I, I want to know and love and serve God. And I also want to, even when I'm talking to my neighbor, um, I, I want to love them before I even can, can convince them of something. Like that has to come first. It's not that the one's not important. It's just that I destroy the second thing by putting it uh, earlier in the list. And so when we keep those, that also helps us to keep, again, our ego out of it. I don't, I don't promote this because it's mine or because I'm right. I promote this because I believe it's true. Like I stand mm-hmm. in, re- in a relationship of humility to this thing that I believe to be true. And it's from that position of, of I'm, as my, my friend Brother Rex likes to say, it's one, you know, one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. Yes. I mean, like that's, yeah. the, that's the relationship we are to have with this and relation to the other people that we're trying to share it with. When I taught middle school uh, religion, I would always tell the kids that if, if you're ever taking a test or answering a question in class in its religion class and you don't know the answer, your best guess is love because that's almost always the right answer. (laughs) And I think that's really what it comes down to because the original question here being how do you have a conversation? How do you talk to someone who you disagree with, who sees things completely different from you? Um, And all the things that we've said, I think, are part of that recipe. But it starts with you have to first love that person. You have to be in a relation, in in a loving relationship with that person and then the the love that sets you free enables you to have those kind of honest conversations honest discussions honest um exchanges with people because you know that um you're being you're able to be intellectually risky because um because 
you're confident in the relation in the loving relationship that's already there. You're not putting that at risk. So I think um, even among this group of people, um, as as we don't agree about everything or um, don't come to the same conclusion about things, uh, but we can have these kind of conversations here. Um, and no one dreads having those conversations with the people in this room um, because we're all friends. We already know that we love each other. And even if on the other side of it, we disagree. I, in fact, I do. Oh. I'll say it here for all of the awakened nation to hear. Wow. Um, yeah. I would hope this that you really love me in return. Moment. I've got no, some I more do. scripture to show you otherwise. No, but I, I think the, the point about love um, is super important because even that notion, though, of like you had to love someone first, um, it, could too, it could too easily – um, be mis misunderstood in practice as just being not being overly aggressive or not whatever. But it, you, in fact, in your heart and in your mind and your soul, you need to care about that person. It's it's more mm -hmm. than just not being aggressive. It's more than just not being confrontational. It's it's really fundamentally. If you don't get what you want out of this conversation, do you still care about that person? Will yeah. you pray for this person? Um, and are you open to learn whatever God wants you to learn from this person? I think we even expand the list a little bit, keeping the, the three theological virtues at the forefront in our mind in any conversation. So obviously love, and we've seen some of the ways of that, but like the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love or charity, what they mean is that they're, they're a, a belief about the kind of universe we live in. You know, when I get into a conversation Part of the, the, the fundamental existential question in my heart is, do I really believe that God exists, that he's the author of this story, that he's in control, that he loves this person more than I do or ever could? Because if that's the case, then I can be at peace and simply be faithful in this conversation. I don't have to solve the world's problems here because I'm mm -hmm. not God. If I have faith in God, hope in his promises and charity for him and charity toward this person he's created, I can have a certain level of peace. You know what? This is one conversation. Lord, what, what's the one or two things you want me to do in this conversation? It doesn't have to begin and end here. This is not where the story ends. This may be where it begins. Mm -hmm. And in, awesome. that, in the context of that mm -hmm. universe, I can peacefully just try to be faithful in this conversation. I love that. And I think if we're doing it the right way, even when you continue to disagree, when you haven't reached um, uh, a shared experience of the objective truth, that after a good argument or a good conversation with someone, you love that person more, even if you still are not in agreement. Um, because if you've been truth seeking, if you've been listening, you now know more about that person than you did before. And I always reverse St. Augustine said, you cannot love what you do not know. I tend to reverse that and say, the more, you know, the more you're able to love. Mm. So even with someone who you disagree with, even with someone who disagrees with you about very important things, you're, if we do this right, we're actually able to love them more after a conversation and not less. It's a good yeah. measure. It's awesome. good my salmon. experience yeah. too, especially with people who we, you know, who are bound to us in life, whether through friendship or family, good conversations can take years. Yeah. Mm. You know, I think yeah. we can play the long play game. Play the long game, yeah. And not, so not be so focused on like, let us draw a mutual conclusion, mm -hmm. force some sort of agreement that doesn't exist. And on that note, let's bring this conversation to an end and play the long game. Ooh, all right. All right. <laughs> and I, I love you, you more now there. than I did before. All right. We'll, I. I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Jury's still out. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow App. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. 
Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.